Today's pod is brought to you by Waterfront Comics, located at 609 Main Street, Sassoon City, California. Open every day from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. So if you're looking for a gift for an avid comic book reader or a collectible for a friend, come to Waterfront Comics. John is the guy to see. And if you can't come in person, no worries. Waterfront Comics does ship to home via their email, waterfrontcomics at gmail.com. everybody it's james and marco and abil and this is the movie pals podcast podcast number 16 today we're going to be going over the horror film winchester but before that hey what you watching so let's jump into it marco what you been watching this week not much but uh, i can start off by saying i watched the big sick uh, about a week ago Oh, nice. And it's a 2017 romantic comedy, well, dramedy actually, if you will, that stars uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Zoe Kazan. And it's basically semi-autobiographical, which I didn't even know until I saw this movie. But it's the story about how Kumail met his now wife uh, in, in real life, Emily. The movie starts off with Kumail... Uh, coming from Pakistani descent and trying to start off his uh, stand-up comedy gig in New York and essentially meets uh, Emily who starts uh, heckling him from the crowd and they meet up at a bar after and start talking about a show and essentially uh, start getting romantically involved but they don't really want to be an item so to speak they're both sort of like resisting each other and it's kind of playful Essentially, they both like fall for each other, <clears throat> and then it gets kind of dark. And not to spoil too much of it, um, but Emily gets like really sick. Uh, it comes after they had a huge fight. Kumail basically has not or has been avoiding meeting Emily's parents, and he hasn't told his parents about Emily because they are trying to set him up through an arranged marriage, which is part of his uh, Pakistani culture. Because he doesn't want to be uh, isolated or thrown out of his family for dating outside of his culture, he essentially doesn't tell his parents about his girlfriend, and so this leads to a big fight. She gets sick, and now he's in a situation where he's being forced to meet Emily's parents, who are now in town to support their daughter, who's like very ill. Um, there's a lot more into the, into the story and in the movie. Um, even though I've spoiled like quite a bit <laughs> of the main I was like, story. Told the movie, but I was like, there's about five minutes left <laughs> of this film. So, <laughs> uh, but it, I like the way, like the realism of the movie and how it brings up like real social issues that even affect like romantic relationships, I think is like, like a big difference in this, uh, romantic comedy versus others where it's just like silly bullshit that becomes the problem like somebody cheated or there's a misunderstanding but this it, it touches deeper roots that i feel like are are more seated into today's society 
with the way like our values and our relationships have evolved over the years. The way their chemistry works in the movie just adds a little bit more to the movie and to the story and I gives it that realistic flair, which is something that I really look forward to in, in movies. And I think that not many romantic comedies have that sense of realism and it made me feel like this movie is very relatable to me, even though I haven't really come across any of these types of situations. It just sort of made it that much more real to me. And, it, and it's something that I think I, I, you know, I talked about the movie before, too. And I think one of the things that you touched on here is true that, you know, we all kind of have a come from a partially ethnic background and yeah. um, our whoa, cultures whoa. are kind of are different than um, some of the more traditional uh, culture, uh, American cultures. And to think about um, how that film portrays the uh, relationship between, you know, Kumail's background and Emily, it's something that I think we can all relate to. And it at least spoke to me a lot about what my family values were and what they were expectations are of, you know, right. who was the Mary and who I should be dating and, you know, or anything else like that. And I'm sure you guys kind of e- even partially can see that in your family if you were to bring somebody home. Yeah. And that, you know, that might not actually um, uh, relate to what your family values are and it might be a harder sell. Um, yeah. It, it really does bring a relationship more like dissected, I guess, if you will. Because even like, even though I'm not like, that's not part of my culture. Like I'm, I'm Latino. So like with, through my culture and my family background, we're like, we're very family oriented. And so that's been sometimes hard for, uh, in some relationships for my significant other to like understand, depending on how they've been brought up. Maybe their family relationships weren't as close or they were very different. Um, and those types of differences, uh, oftentimes brought clashes into the relationship. So even though it's not exactly the same as what the movie was trying to point out, it, it does sort of bring that that feeling of, of oh, I, I know how to relate to this, that sense of home, so to speak. Uh, very good movie, um, e- even though there are some like dark moments to it. It's very lighthearted in many scenes, and it's, it's worth the watch. It's streaming on Amazon Prime right now, so definitely give it a shot. Uh, other thing I watched is the um, Netflix original The Cloverfield Paradox, which for those of you who are not aware, it's the third installment in the Cloverfield franchise. So it follows up the 2008 film Cloverfield directed by J.J. Abrams and the 2016 uh, loose sequel 10 Cloverfield Lane. This one actually uh, really helps establish more of an explanation to those two movies as a disclaimer i would say that we're it's hard to talk about this movie without spoiling it yeah like at all or without spoiling the previous because a lot of cloverfield movies don't tell you much if anything especially with trailers yeah so if you want to go in blind i would skip this part entirely yeah i agree Go ahead like four or five minutes from now. Yeah, because we're probably going to delve a little deep into this one. We won't spoil it, but I mean, there's if you don't want to know how it connects in a way, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Because there's some (laughs) stuff that happens loosely, I guess. It's all loosely based. I mean, loosely connected still regardless, but yeah. Sorry, Margo. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. Uh, just we ref, we definitely need to add that disclaimer in there. So I don't but, want someone. Like, it just came out last night, so <laughs> right after the Super Bowl, yeah. 
so this one was directed by Julius Ona and was only produced by J.J. Abrams. And uh, I guess it just went directly to Netflix. But lucky for us, uh, who subscribed to Netflix, we got to see it last night. Yes, we did. <laughs> um, it's It's got a long list of uh, actors on it. So I'm just... Just to name a few, uh, Daniel Brohl, Elizabeth Debicki, uh, Axel Henney, uh, Chris O'Dowd, John Ortiz. Um, just a lot of pretty well-known actors that have done a few projects that have been critically acclaimed if you've been watching movies the last you know couple of years. But in this storyline, it's a group of astronauts and scientists who are... Going up into space in order to make a device uh, known as the uh, the Shepard, I guess like the Shepard device. Yeah, it uses yeah. particles to uh, create energy because there's a yeah. crisis going on on Earth. Yeah, uh, the Earth is running out of energy and countries are preparing to war against each other in order to hog all the limited resources left. So... Uh, the the Shepard device that is pretty much uh, going to be powered by the Higgs boson particle. It's like like one of the most powerful particles known to man to give us unlimited energy. And the only way to ignite this particle is actually in space because otherwise it'll cause devastating consequences. Uh, well, it does cause devastating consequences even through space, and shit starts to get really weird because apparently it rips the fabric of space and time, and opens possibly, it, yeah, they, they allude to maybe the the Earth disappears, maybe they got transported somewhere, but yeah, essentially what the pseudo explanation is that it starts mixing up multiverses into into one another, and the crew experiences a multitude of various experiences anywhere from being embedded into the ship to losing limbs to uh just a bunch of crazy shit happening and uh overall i thought that it was an okay movie it wasn't great but it was good i enjoyed the explanation to the previous installments and why such events occur in cloverfield and 10 cloverfield lane because of what happens uh, with this crew and what they do in order to, uh, in in an essence, save the Earth, but at the same time, dooming the Earths in other universes, I thought that was a pretty pretty cool theme to kind of explore. I, I, I think for me, um, I I did enjoy the film as well, but the, my biggest gripe with it was that it couldn't find its tone, and I, I was telling you this earlier. Marco, that, you know, it's, uh, it starts as, like, an aspirational kind of sci-fi film, like, yeah. we're going to go save the world, and then it gets a bit dark into almost kind of horror-like, um, and then it tries to be funny as well for a little bit, then it gets dark and funny, and then it just kind of, it's, it, it's just a, a roller coaster ride. polish would, would have helped this a lot. Right. I agree. And <clears throat> if I sound a bit reserved in how I'm explaining the movie, it's like, it's like James was saying, it's hard not to spoil yeah, we don't what happens in it. We don't want to tell you the entire thing. That's all, right. all you need to know. Um, but for... I think the movie is the weakest one out of all three Cloverfields. I'd agree. With I that. agree. Um, I think uh, Gugu Mbatha Raw, who plays Hamilton, she's the main protagonist of the film. I don't think she's a particularly interesting protagonist. We're kind of just she's kind of just following along with everything. We're kind of forced to like her. I agree. Side story about a loss she's had, and she makes a choice near the end, almost that. Just does it just seems like they're just adding more shit to the movie. Right? 
I yeah. when 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 she wanted to do that, and we're not going to give away what it is. Just watch the movie if you want. It's it's on Netflix. Late. But I I was just like, what the fuck are you thinking? They also introduced a character later on in the film named Jensen, played by Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah, and um, she's just worthless. Really, she's just there to be a bad guy at the end. Yeah, but yeah, and it's very it's super obvious. Yeah, too. it's like, super obvious that they not they once she Cronenberg's in by the way. Just let everyone know. Uh-huh. But in yeah. a way, it's like um, okay. But I don't yeah. want to be an asshole, but when they find her, why did I burst out laughing? <laughs> Not me. It was creepy. I thought it was creepy. I was just like, um, oh, no. But I think it had a solid cast, though. Yeah. I think the cast was amazing. Like, especially Daniel Brolin and David Oyelowo. Yeah. Man, they were really good. Yeah. I kind of wish David Oyelowo was the main character, the captain. Mm-hmm. So do I. I was like, he seems like he's got his stuff together. But, well, you know, he's done some pretty big roles, too. So Yeah, he has. So yeah. it's, you know. Um, there's probably a reason why Paramount skipped on putting this one out. It probably yeah. would have flopped pretty bad. I agree. Um, I just tell in the bill that in, at some points it just felt like a Hollywood script with a TV budget. It, it I retweeted it yesterday. It's it it's a better version of life, basically. Yeah, movie that came I out agree last with year. that. It's it's much more interesting than oh, it's life. way more interesting. Yeah, at least the cool guy doesn't get killed twenty minutes into right. it. <laughs> Spoiler alert for life, everyone. Sorry. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I would say if you're a Cloverfield fan, check it out. But um, going pretty low. I yeah. Guess. If anything, just to add some closure to the first two films and kind of uh, know more of the story and the background of what happens. That's really the only reason to to watch this. Anything else you've been watching, Marco? Just the uh, Black Lightning TV show on the CW. Yeah. I just yeah, caught nice. up on the new episode and. I uh, enjoyed it, but I feel like this is probably the the weakest episode so far of of the series. I know it's only three episodes in, but I felt like the first two episodes were a bit stronger and uh, carried um, the themes better than this one. I think that I think they like tried. Yeah, they tried to lighten normal this CW one up. show, but the third one it yeah slows down a bit. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I'm I'm enjoying it. If uh, you guys haven't checked it out. I definitely recommend it. I think it adds like a different flair to the CW shows. Um, like we've mentioned before, it's uh, definitely darker than some of the other ones. Um, the themes are a little bit different. And I just generally enjoy the performances. Uh, all the lead actors are really good in their roles. There's no scene where I'm just like, hmm, don't really believe what you're saying there. But um, I think that it's uh, one of... CW's best shows right now, aside from um, Flash and Arrow, of course. But as as far as uh, superhero shows go, it's one of my favorites right now. Nice, yeah, I'm uh, really enjoying that one too. But that's all I've been watching. What about you, James? What have you been watching? Um, I watched a couple of things. So I want to start out by saying I saw the final Maze Runner movie. Maze Runner, uh, the the Death Cure. Did it cap it off good? Yeah, I think it did. Um, disclaimer, I've never read any of the books, so I'm not one of those, like, it's not like the book, but, um... Well, I got one on you, because, uh, I've never read the books or seen any of the movies. <laughs> Missing out, man. Um, if you like the other two movies, you'll like this one, so... Do you think... I uh, know, I saw the first one, and I actually surprisingly enjoyed the first one a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah. The second one was good, not as good as the first. Was the third one I think this better? I think the third one's better than the second one, yeah. so... Um, it caps it off really well. So, I don't know if the Maze Runner is about a group of teenagers in the post-apocalyptic 
era, I guess. I know. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Like uh, people become infected and become like zombies and all this crap. And basically the final movie is about Thomas, played by Dylan O'Brien, going to the final city left on Earth to save uh, one of his best friends, uh, Minho. So they're not running a maze anymore? No, they haven't done a maze <laughs> since the first movie, bro. <laughs> a zombie maze? Um, but there, there's there's a lot of cool action in this one. And I like the story. It gets really dark. Yeah. And it's pretty sad. It's not exactly a uplifting like ending. Which is one. actually why I like those movies. Because it isn't like the kind of, oh, everything's going crappy. And now it's going to get better, though. No, it's, like, it's no. definitely not. It it's, keeps that tone. And I kind of like it. It's like, it's this is life. Get used yeah. to it. <laughs> and, of course, I think... Um, the main villain in this one is still Aiden Gillen, um, who plays Jansen. He's um, played Littlefinger in uh, Game of Thrones, so he's always been kind of like that villain-esque character. And in this one, he's even better than the second one because he doesn't get as much screen time in the yeah, second he film. Doesn't get as much. This one, he's much more main villain. Um, I like the whole Last City concept, and um, there's a lot of it's a lot of good message about friendship and sacrifices people make. And I thought it capped it off really well for the trilogy. So if uh, you like the other two, I'd highly recommend checking it out. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm glad to hear it wasn't disappointing. It was delayed a little bit because the main character got really hurt. And one of the yeah, he almost died. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, wow. he uh, his car turned during the first scene during the train. There's a train scene in the beginning where they're chasing a train. And he apparently had to relearn how to walk and everything. So they yeah, had to. That's pretty bad. Yeah. That's pretty intense. And you know what? I like Dylan O'Brien, actually. That kid? Yeah. He's, same kid he's from American Assassin. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, same guy. So I was like, man, I really like him. He's he's kind of um he's got he's got a good like tone to him, I guess. Like an action hero, I guess. Right. Nothing too crazy, but I mean I like it. Okay, maybe I'll check him out. I would I'd recommend it. Got them all pretty much to check out. Um I also watched Moon. Oh, such a, a good two thousand nine sci fi film directed by Duncan Jones, who went no. off to do source code and then the Warcraft movie <laughs> afterwards. Um, High aspirations. Yeah, so Moon is about a astronaut that is working on the moon and um, harvesting minerals from it. And um, he, his only companion is his um, kind of like assistant. His name's Gertie. It's played by Kevin Spacey. So it's <laughs> the AI on the station, right? Yeah, it's very yeah. 2001, but less evil, if you know what I mean. Gertie's yeah. actually a good, like a cool person in a way, even though he's not a person. But basically, um, Sam discovers a huge secret going on in the base and uh, realizes something deeper is going on, basically, than he thinks. He's being lied to, basically, about why he's really there and who he really is. So, uh, The reason why I checked this out is because Duncan Jones is releasing the new... It's like a spiritual sequel to it. It's called Mute. It's coming out on Netflix later this month on um, February 23rd. And um, it's set in the same universe as Moon. And he's already said that um, Sam Bell, who is Sam Rockwell's character, will make kind of a kind of a closure to his whole story because the, the movie ends with you not exactly knowing how everything ends. But yeah, um, if anything, it's um, streaming on Crackle. It's completely free with ads, but um, pretty cool way to watch it. It's a, I think it's a really well done movie. It was an indie film, uh, Duncan Jones' first big film. And it's really well done. Sam Rockwell does a great job in that one. So, Oh, I agree. I'm it's one of his it. best roles for sure. And I definitely enjoy the movie. And, oh, man. I the, can end, see the, the ending to that movie is so heart-wrenching, man. It's Nibble's like, three billboards <laughs> is his best. <laughs> well, I, I will watch it, Nabil, I promise. No, I think that it, it was a good film. And especially 
that movie kind of shows off Sam Rockwell's acting skill like a lot because he's alone. He's most of the by film. himself. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And so that really kind of helped to make him even more likable. You know, in that film, like you just kind of start feeling for him the whole time. And yeah, he's those, not one you get bored of throughout the film. Those last few minutes are just really intense yeah. too. It just oh, so good. That's why I'm looking forward to Mute. I think Mute's going to be good too. Yeah, I'll check. That's I'll starring check out. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård and Paul Rudd. So just as a Paul Rudd, huh? Yeah, he's a mute bartender. He's trying to find out what happened to his uh, partner. So goes against like the city's gangsters yeah. and all that stuff. Um, and then the last movie I watched was another. Oh, not another, but I mean a, a Netflix exclusive film called Mudbound. Uh, this one's getting some Oscar buzz because it uh, was nominated for four Academy Awards, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So, um, best adapted screenplay, cinematography, supporting actress, and I think uh, one other one too, maybe three or four. But it is directed by uh, D. Rees, and it is about two men uh, coming home from World War II. Uh, they live in a really rural area of Mississippi. And they struggle with uh, racism and adjusting to life after war. So it's um, the two men in in question, I guess, is uh, Jason Mitchell plays Ronsell Jackson. And then Garrett Hedlund plays Jamie McCallan. And the film is about like the McCallan family. The head of it is played by Jason Clark. His name's Henry. And he buys a farm. And he's not very smart, actually. So he gets kind of swindled into a terrible deal because the area he buys isn't the greatest. It's us the name mudbound it's just uh-huh. muddy and the whole tone of the film is just like doesn't make you feel good at all you feel dirty yeah you feel dirty and i swear <laughs> to god everyone's everyone's filthy in this fucking movie too and i'm like god it's, it's like the beginning of there will be blood it's just like yeah no it, it actually reminded me i think the cinematography is great though in this yeah. film um really good sound track to the entire thing garrett Hedlund's character jamie and jason mitchell's character ron Sell, both basically went to world war ii so jamie was a bomber pilot and Roncel was a tank commander and coming back it's hard especially for Roncel to adjust to life because of he had a lot more freedoms as a black man in Europe as opposed to coming back home which shows you the irony of the entire <laughs> purpose of like yeah. he went there to fight for everyone's freedom and he comes back and he can't even go out the front door of a store they tell him to go to the back um doesn't have the same freedoms he fought for basically yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy and then the thing is with Jamie Jamie is more privileged, obviously, because he's a white man. But mm-hmm. he went. He has he has PTSD like terribly, and he he's an alcoholic. But the two men bond, and I really like that because I didn't think that was gonna happen in the film. I thought it was gonna be one of those films where they were gonna hate each other and then become kind of friends or something. But no, they hit it off right off the bat. That's pretty cool. And they kind of deal with life together, and it's um it's extremely well done. It's a it's a very somber film though. It kind of starts, it almost Tarantino's it, where it's like the ending first, and then you find out how they get to that point. Oh, right on. So, um, good, really good performances here, especially Mary J. Blige was really good. Um, she's one of the, um, she's Ron Sell's mother, basically. And um, the movie's told in like a perspective of people doing voiceovers, talking about life during that time, and taking care of people, and how things, how life really was, and how it was to be like a black woman caring for white children at the same time, and... Um, what that meant to her like she actually generally cares for those kids and um yeah it's really good overall uh highly recommend checking out it was um a lot better than i thought it was going to be it does start out a little slow i'd say especially first 30 40 minutes of it but it's like a two hour and 10 minute film i think so yeah i was about to say geez, how long is it's, the a movie? Long movie. Movie. it's a long movie it's a long movie but it's a build-up to understand the characters really yeah and because of that i think it worked out better because of that and overall um like i said i'd recommend checking out especially if you have netflix 
um, it's on there. It's only on Netflix right now. So yeah, I, m- I meant to check it out this last week, but I didn't get a chance. So I'll, I'll definitely add that to my queue. Yeah, I definitely would uh, check it out. A lot of good quality stuff on Netflix. We gotta watch more of that stuff. I know, right? <laughs> well, is Bright good? <laughs> you know, bird. We, we had for a discussion every, about for that. every Mudbound. For every Mudbound, there's a Bright, and then the in the middle, well, Cloverfield. Then also, makes up for all the other content they're getting rid of. So hey, that's true. No, well, if they can keep making some quality films, um, diamond. Hey. They're not so many diamonds in a rough. I think there's a lot more than that. Yeah, uh, there's probably stuff. yeah, probably yeah. Is. You include the TV shows. There's yeah. a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Nabil? What have you been watching? Um, outside of, uh, the Cloverfield Paradox, I've, I've been watching a few shows. Um, I watched, uh, Jane the Virgin. Have you ever guys ever watched that? Yeah, my girlfriend's watched, uh, every episode, actually. Yeah. My wife is a really big fan of it, and I wasn't, like, really into it, um, when she had kind of pitched to me to watch it, but it's, it plays like a very funny novella, and yeah. it's essentially, um, so the story about Jane the Virgin is that Jane gets artificially intimidated and is pregnant and um so technically is a virgin when well, she the gets funny pregnant thing is it's on accident though. it's on accident though. it was not intentional she just went oh, in to damn. get checked yeah and then and, and just a bunch of drama happens and you know at this point in the show she's already got the child and she's kind of gotten older and there's a lot of other crazy things going on but um one of the things that i enjoy about the show is that you really don't know what you expect every episode um, and that's why it plays like a novella because at the ending it's like a big cliffhanger and time, something yeah. completely different can happen. And it's not like, oh, end of the season cliffhanger. Like every episode can end in something big and just start new again. <laughs> just like a just TV like, novella. Exactly. Just, just like, like novella. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's pretty funny. Um, I recommend watching that. It's on the CW, I believe. Um, I've also watched uh, an old show on Netflix um, that's originally on, I want to say, AMC. And it's uh, called Turn, and it stars my favorite, uh, one of my favorite oh, actors, God. Jamie Bell. Jamie Bell. Yeah, I, you <laughs> I know, just I, thought I, about I it. I was almost gonna bring it up last episode too, because I've been wanting to watch that yes. show. When the Bill said before the pod, he's like, "I watched Turn." I was like, "Is that what is that again?" I was like, "It sounds so familiar." <laughs> it's also because I've told James to watch that show. Is it the ballet dancing boy is back in the he's Civil War? Not the Civil War. He's- no, it's he, the Revolutionary he, War. He infiltrates as an entertainer, uh, and that's how he's able to spy for he, the U.S. He uh, is able to spy through interpretive dance. Um, so, yeah, it's it's set after um, the Declaration of Independence in 1776, and essentially the Redcoats are still in colonizing you know, the, the eastern United States, and um, there's obviously George Washington, who's in the the uh, insurgency, I guess, to the, to the Brits of trying to take that land and claim it for um, their own. And Jamie Bell is essentially uh, recruited somehow as a spy for both sides. Um, First, it starts as a spy for the Americans Mm -hmm. um, and then somehow ends up also becoming a double agent for uh, the Brits. And so we don't really know where his loyalties are, but we do. Um, It's a very interesting kind of tale. very ambiguous. Right. Kind of the first real buys in in american history <laughs> um so very interesting little turn on that during that era as well was it based on true events uh loosely like obviously not everything yeah, is like, no, okay. detailed no yeah to um but it is loosely that washington did have some spies um on the bridge to help get them to get the advantage yeah. on some of the battles over there so definitely hmm. um some truth to it is it it's oh. still going though like yeah. or is it was it a final season kind of thing no this um i think right now it's on season five. Oh wow yeah which i found very surprising that yeah, it's still going as so people are watching it. it wow yeah. okay 
Or, you know... I thought it only had, like, three seasons so far. Me too. It, it could be that The Walking Dead isn't doing that great, guys. So, uh, they got to keep up something in the back end. And I've also been watching... Uh, I, I brought this up a couple of times. Uh, uh, the Good Place, starring Kristen Bell. Um, it's essentially Kristen Bell character dies, like, in the first episode. And she thinks she's in heaven. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which is The Good Place. Um, and slowly finds out that everything that she's seeing is a lie. And... Um, is not really in the bad place, which is hell, but she's like kind of in a purgatory area and is trying That's to find her way. Yeah, trying to find her way into the good place, and so a lot of just crazy antics happen throughout the show. It's only like a little twenty-two minute uh, show on mm-hmm. NBC. Definitely interesting premise, um, and pretty funny how they jump from episode to episode on what they're doing and um, how they how they try to get to the good place. Um, and it was a season finale just um, last week. And I was very well done how they ended the show and, again, left with a big cliffhanger. So another another show if you guys are into looking for something just generally lighthearted and funny and really nice. hard to, like, you know, take serious. Um, a good show worth watching. I was wondering what Kristen Bell was up to lately. So that's what we've been watching. Yeah. Awesome. Let's move on to our movie recommendation corner. Recommendation Corner. Alright guys, so just like last week, well we had to, we had to flip it around this time, obviously, because we had to be equal here. So as you know, last week uh, we each went over a film, or last episode, I'm sorry, went over a film that uh, one of the other movie pals had uh, recommended to us. So this time around, I recommended a film to Nabil, Nabil recommended a film to Marco, and Marco recommended a film to me that's right so let's start it out here with uh nabil here he's going to uh intro the movie and then just like before uh go briefly over it what he liked or didn't like if it was a good recommendation and then thoughts on why it was recommended to him and then at the very end uh the recommendee will tell you uh why they recommended the film and so on and so forth so let's start here like i said with nabil so uh my movie was a recommendation by james um, is a movie he's always shocked that I've never seen um, and makes it a point um, to remind me after he forgets that I hadn't seen it. Uh, I'm still shocked. <laughs> I'm just like, really? I'm, I'm shocked. It's 2006's uh, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, directed by Guillermo del Toro, uh, starring Ivanka Baquero, um, who stars as Ophelia. In a dark time when hope was bleak, there lived a young girl whose only escape was in a legend that wanted her back. Um, And essentially it's set in 1944 Spain, um, and it's about a girl who um, is really fascinated with fairy tales, um, and it's kind of set with her mother who's pregnant to live with their new stepfather, who is a very cold-hearted and ruthless captain of the Spanish army. Um, and during the night, she ends up meeting a fairy who takes her to an old fawn um, in the center of a labyrinth that they find over there. And he tells her she's a princess, but she's got to prove herself by surviving three uh, very gruesome tasks. And if she fails, she'll never be able to prove herself to be the true princess and will never see her real father, the king, again. Jesus. <laughs> so it's a, it's a dark one. Yeah. A, that's pretty heavy. It's a dark fairy tale. It's a girl, but you know what? It's uh, if you've seen any girl, a girl, Guillermo del Toro film, 
um, you'll know that he likes the dark fantasies. Yeah. Um, so did you like it? I did like it. I thought it was, it was, I forget how dark his films can be. It was a bit bloody. And as we've learned from last week's podcast, I was like, oh, (laughs) this is okay. Some very intense scenes happen. But actually... it's nothing too. Oh, there's maybe uh, one scene. It's the bill of. now. We know how there's some, she is yeah, now. Yeah, there's some hand cracking stuff going yeah. on. Um, but but I will tell you this: it doesn't overtake from the overall premise of the story. No. Um, and it's a very interesting setting because it's you know where the rest of the world is dealing with World War II. Spain was dealing with their own kind of civil war. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. weren't really involved in the war, so to see that kind of aspect of it and. You've got the the B story of the war, and then you've got the A story of the little girl and the fairy tale thing, and how they meld that together. Very, um, very interesting premise, and I'll, he did a very good job putting that together. I think I really, I, and I, you know, I think it was a good recommendation for me because I do like those kind of uh, fairy tale films. Um, I thought it was um, got a lot of heart, to be honest, for a darker fantasy it does. film. No, it does. I, yeah, I think it some of the the, the makeup. Like the effects, like it was really well done. He did. He really went all out with uh, showing the fawn, and then that little. Yeah. There was like a, a creepy guy and a, a demon kind of thing in underground. It was really scary. That was cool. Toad, yeah, the toad thing. Most Guillermo del Toro movies are like visually stunning. Yeah. And that's that's one of the great things about watching them is just how much detail he spends on that and the cinematography. And it was 2006, too. And yeah. the, granted, the technology was pretty good over the, back then with the CG. But, like, he did a really good job making sure everything looked as realistic as possible. Yeah. Um, um, I really, yeah, I really thought it was a, a good film overall. As far as why James may have recommended it to me, um, I, I think it's just mostly because he knows that I do like Guillermo del Toro. But this is considered his masterpiece. I think he considers it his masterpiece. Yeah. Um, and I know James didn't want me to miss an opportunity to see a film that is as good as it is. Um, I can see definitely why it was nominated for an Academy Award um, among um, so many other accolades. Um, and it was something that was worth watching. And I, uh, I agree. It was... I'm shocked, too, that I never actually got a chance to see it. And so I'm glad yeah. that I was able to see it this time. Well, Nabil, I'm glad you finally saw it. Because, as you know, that is one of my favorite films. I do like the... Um, Ophelia, first off, is a very likable character. She's in a terrible situation. Especially since her stepfather is um, literally a monster. Yeah. He's the real monster. He is. Get it? Shape of Water. Yeah. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro has a lot Michael of those James themes. is the monster. Like, even in the Hellboy movies, he has that themes, too, where Hellboy is, like, kind of shunned. But yeah, even though really Hellboy... It's society, it's ugly. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, that's deep. Um, the reason I recommend it to you, and the reason why I really like this film, is I saw this film... This is probably one of the first foreign films I saw in theaters. Oh. I saw it, you know, they didn't do this one in English or anything. I saw it... Um, Shortly after a pretty tragic event happened to me, and I, I didn't go out a lot those times, and I had to trick two of my friends to go see the movie with me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they d- I showed them trailers, and they were... Because this, was, this movie was, wasn't advertised that well until the Academy Awards. Right. I think, like you said, it got nominated for one. Yeah. And back in... It saw it in 2007, like early 2007, before the Academy Awards. And my friend was like, is this in Spanish? And I was like, no, nah, man, that's just the intro. Oh my or something God. like that. And then they got there and they're like, the fuck is this? And the <laughs> whole movie is in Spanish. Yeah. There's no English stuff to this. <laughs> but back then, as I already, I didn't know if I liked film as much as I thought I liked film. But uh, during that time period, I uh, I went to the movies a lot after that. So 
it's one of those movies where it's like an escape and I can relate to the whole fantasy aspect of it and stuff like that. Um, I like that in a way. Is it really happening or is it in her head? Right. I like that. Which kind is, of it's a, always left ambiguous. You really oh, yeah. don't know the answer. Because then at the I end, mean, it's almost like it might have actually happened yeah. that way. But Or it's just a little girl trying to find peace in something else in the story, you know? Mm-hmm. But overall, I think it's uh, Guillermo del Toro's one of his top films. If not my, uh, definitely my favorite Guillermo del Toro film, that and Shape of Water. Yeah. So it's Def- well done. It has some great, um, a great little story to it. Uh, the um, it's a it's still slightly a horror film in a way, yeah. in that dark fantasy kind of uh, Alice in Wonderland kind of feel to it, you know. And um, it has that little weird root thing under the bed that <laughs> creeped me out as a kid. Yeah, um, and then they threw it away. With the milk? <laughs> yeah. Didn't that bother you? Just a little bit. I know this is a sidestep. If you've never seen the movie, you don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah. as a 17-year-old, I was like, this is weird. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad you liked it, man. All right, so I guess moving on, I should go over a film now. I'll go second here. Marco recommended the 1997 sci-fi film Gattaca. In a society where success is determined by science, divided by the standards of perfection. One man's only chance... How do you expect to pull this off? I don't know exactly. ...is to hide his own identity. This is the last day that you're going to be you and I'm going to be me. ...by borrowing someone else's. So Gattaca is directed by Andrew Nichol, who went on to do Lord of War in 2005, in Time in 2011, and The Host in 2013. It stars Ethan Hawke as Vincent Freeman, Uma Thurman as Irene Cassini, and Jude Law as Jerome Morrow. Basically the film, in a nutshell, because I don't want to... Oh, it's kind of spoilery. Not really, I guess. It is the entire... You know what I mean? I'm looking at Marco here. I'm like, eh. No, no not really. So basically, a genetically inferior man who is played by Ethan Hawke, his name is Vincent, mm-hmm. he assumes the identity of a superior person who is... Jerome Morrow, played by Jude Law. Yeah. To pursue his um, lifelong... He wants to be basically an astronaut. And he lives in a world where your genes and your genetics determine from early on in birth what you are ever capable of. And it tells you of how susceptible you are to getting sick. So Vincent is in a position where he is basically just does menial tasks. And he's like a janitor. But then he gets the opportunity... To assume the life of Jerome, who is Jude Law once again, and Jerome is a has the genetics of like God practically, <laughs> man. He's like he destined to he could have been destined to do anything, but he after an accident happened, he is wheelchair bound. So basically, the film is about Ethan Hawke pretending to be him. They have this elaborate setup where he uses skin cell samples from him, blood samples, urine samples, because everywhere he goes, they test you for everything in this society. Which I thought was very close to In Time, yeah. which is his movie that he made, uh, Andrew Nichol, the director, um, several years later, obviously, with Justin Timberlake. Yeah, it's a theme that he essentially used. It's in a, very in similar movie. in a way where different aspects of society, because of what you have, determine how you're treated, basically. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that. Um, so the main focus of the film, though, is that Ethan Hawke's character, Vincent, but he's Jerome, so I don't want to mix it up. He basically is on his way to leave within a week, finally on a space mission. But then their director is killed, and his eyelash 
kind of his found basically. Right. So they're uh, the FBI, the police are basically on his trail trying to find him. But when you're pretending to be someone, it's kind of hard to kind of throw him off. Yeah. And that's basically the story: is him trying to throw him off and make it until his mission is ready to go, so he can get off the planet. Basically. Um, overall, I I actually did like this one. It was a lot more. It was a lot different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was an action film. Oh. I don't know why. I think I'm thinking of Equilibrium with Christian <laughs> uh, Bale. Yeah, not no, the same it's film. it's a it's a very subtle sci-fi movie, which is one of the things that yeah. makes it interesting. It's like not really in your face. Yeah, it's very subtle. It's kind of a slow burn. Um, there are it's very little to no action. It's more of the story itself about Vincent, and it's really about society and how we view people and how basically Vincent works for what he what he obtains yeah even though technically it, in that world it's illegal yeah it just shows how the social structure social social classes will be determined where it's not just going to be like monet like through money like how we see it but in this case through dna or in time through your age which yeah. is like and how much time you get for working it, through it exactly um i think it was a good recommendation though i actually i do like sci-fi that's probably one of my number one um kind of genres of film that i enjoy because especially this one is more kind of a realistic sci-fi, although it's a bit dated. It did come out 21 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the story of Vincent and his relationship with people throughout his life and what he had to go through, I thought it was very touching. And I um, I enjoyed it. Um, I think Marco recommended this to me because he, he knows that I like sci-fi, obviously. And this movie kind of screams Marco in a way. Like this feels like a Marco film. Very like it's always like these mid nineties to eighties films that Marco yeah. just absolutely <laughs> like goes back and mentions or something. And I'm like, oh, I might have seen that maybe, you know. But yeah, yeah I'm that, really I'm happy that you recommend it, man. I think it was a good one. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much why I recommend it to you. It's one of those movies that in my life has still has like an impact in my life. It's one of those that's that stood out in time, like you were saying, one of those that I grew up with and uh would still enjoy today. And knowing that you're like a sci-fi fan like myself, mm-hmm. felt like you would appreciate it. And even even though it's dated, it's I still feel I still think it stands the test of time where they don't do too much that's out of the ordinary to where you can't look at the film and think, wow, this could still take place somewhere oh, off yeah, in the nearby no, no, future, yeah. which is really cool. Like it's a very low-tech sci-fi, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, like one of the fun facts that I liked about it is uh, it's like the nerd in me. That uh, Na- NASA actually said it's one of the most uh, realistic sci-fi movies that they've seen. That that they judge yeah. like when they judge like movies on how accurate they are. But um, just felt that it's something that's like very relevant to a- anybody where you, it's someone trying to overcome adversity against all odds. Like even in mm-hmm. a far off future, I think it's something that will speak to anybody at any given time. And it just shows like the the contrast between the two. I was telling James. Uh, after he had seen it, how uh, Vincent is born like of natural birth, which is now seen as like a, a taboo versus mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Jerome, who was um, handpicked, handpicked. He was so. genetically engineered, basically. But uh, Vincent overcomes whatever obstacles come to him because of his natural birth. And Jerome, like, after he has, like, a tragic accident, he just sort of, like, he doesn't know, like, who he is anymore and can't, like, really, like, live with that yeah, anymore. Yeah, and it, it destroys him ultimately. Yeah, and I, I love that, like, compare and contrast in the movie. But, 
yeah um glad you enjoyed it dude yeah, it's one definitely. of my personal favorites not uh again not not really action-packed um a little slow burn but uh enjoyable nonetheless yeah and what about you marco um with me well i was given a movie by nabil billy elliott too yeah he's like we're all watching we're- it. <laughs> everybody's <laughs> gotta see it <laughs> now no. you're gonna know how to dance <laughs> No, uh, he gave me the 1995 romantic drama Before Sunrise. All right, I have an admittedly insane idea, but if I don't ask you this, it's just going to haunt me the rest of my life. I have no idea what your situation is, but I feel like we have some kind of uh, connection, right? Yeah, me too. Great. So listen, here's the deal. This is what we should do. You should get off the train with me here in Vienna and come check out the town. We just got into Vienna today, and we're looking for something fun to do. Is pregnancy English? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's directed by Richard Linkletter, who went on to direct uh, Scanner Darkly uh, and produced uh, the movie Boyhood, which uh, also starred Ethan He directed Hoff. it, too. Directed it. Oh, well. he did. Di- yeah, that's right. He did direct it. Um, I thought he just produced it, but no, yeah, he did direct it, mm-hmm. which also stars Ethan Hawke, who's uh, one of the main actors in Before Sunrise, uh, starring next to uh, Julie Delpy. And essentially, uh, the movie is about a young American tourist named Jesse uh, who meets a young French student by the name of Celine on a train in Europe. And they end up spending an an evening alone together randomly in Vienna. And unfortunately for both, they know that it will probably be the only night they spend together and ever see each other. And that's pretty much the movie in a nutshell. So I don't have anything else to say about it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, awesome. Thanks again, Nabil. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, um, uh, I like the movie. Uh, what I liked about it is uh, just how realistic the conversations are throughout the entire movie. Uh, I mean, it just from the get-go, it starts off with both characters on the train. And they randomly just come across like a conversation based off of something that happens to them on the train. They see a couple arguing and they make some spark that uh, conversation. That's how it happens, man. Yeah. Um, And the way that they just naturally connect, it kind of like brings in that feeling of when you like naturally when you meet somebody and have that connection and just kind of like hit it off. And they have this great time in Vienna, uh, albeit very... uh, like a, a very thrifty adventure because they both don't have any money. But it, it, the way the story unravels, it, it, you know, it turns out that they both have just gone through a recent like breakup. Well, Celine's was like six months ago, but Vincent had just gone to Europe to visit a girlfriend who essentially like uh, he got in a fight with. And so he by chance gets on this train to go on an adventure to forget about like how crappy his life is and by chance meets this woman. And just basically act as if they'd known each other for years. And I just really enjoyed that aspect of the movie. I think it was a good recommendation for me overall because uh, it it felt like something that I could connect to. Like, I feel like every yeah. one of us has had that one experience, at least in their life, whether it was one night or for a few days or a week where you just had this encounter with someone you meet and whether it be at school, at work or whatever, and you just have like this this little spark in your life and maybe you never see that person again maybe you do but you think back on your life and uh it's even mentioned in the movie where you look back on the years and you're like you know what i'm glad i made that decision you know that i I probably don't end up with that person at the end of my life 
or probably never see him again, but still that experience like has a really good impact on your life. What I didn't like about it, um, in some parts it can be kind of slow. That's that's the only thing I didn't like. There's not, I mean, it's it's a romantic drama, so obviously there's there's little like action. It's or, dialogue driven, right? Yeah, yeah it's it's part. very dialogue driven. So um, if you if you're not paying attention to what they're saying. You're you're kind of gonna be lost in the movie, but um, aside from that, it's just just a small complaint about it. Um, also, the fact that it is like kind of dated a little bit, it came out in '95, but still, like the overall theme is something that is relatable. Um, but uh, I do like how there's barely any music. Really, the music that you really, except for like the beginning and some smart parts, small parts here and there. There's really no score. The music you hear about it comes from the movie, from the two people, Jesse and Celine, like doing something, whether listening to a record at like a record listening station. Yeah, they have those in Europe. Um, or oh listening to like a live band um, or walking into a bar and hearing music like within the bar. Oh, so, so I kind of like uh, that. It adds that sense of realism to it. Kind of diegetic sound. Yeah. One of my favorite parts is when they're um, when they're walking by the water and uh, I don't know if it's a homeless guy or not, but he approaches them and tells them rather than ask them for money, he's like, I'll work for you. I'll write you a poem and I'll make a poem out of a word that you choose. And they choose the word milkshake. So the guy makes a freaking love poem out of the word like milkshake. And um, it's actually a pretty damn good fucking poem. I'm not going to lie. And what it's, do you think uh, Nabil recommended to you? Uh, I think Nabil thought that I could relate to this movie and like I said, probably had an experience or had experienced something of this nature that I could relate to. And I think it's also probably one of his favorite movies. Yeah, I would say. I think that's pretty spot on. Um, Richard Linklater is one of my favorite directors, if not my favorite director period. Um, and this was my introduction to him, this movie. Um, and there's a trilogy of it, and and as a as yes. a small correction of what I said last time, I recommended the sequel. This is before <laughs> I was gonna, sunset. I was going to call you out not, on it, but not before sunrise, and that was, was my like, mistake. Hmm, that's weird. <laughs> Second of three, I guess right. he knows what he's talking about. I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie because um, it, it kind of does make me curious for the sequel, the way the movie ended. And I'm not going to spoil it, You're but like, I need yeah. to know. I kind of, uh, I guessed the ending like halfway through what w- uh, like what was going to happen, but even like the dialogue almost word for word, I kind of guessed it, but it made me curious as to like Damn. what happens in the <laughs> sequel. I'm not going to lie. And like, what happens next? And the whole trilogy is is just a very, uh, it's, it's very much the same, just different stages of life. But this particular film, um, just kind of the chance encounter in a different country, um, and that it is all dialogue driven and that they're getting to know each other in that form instead of some big action event going on. They're kind of connecting with each other just emotionally and spiritually. And yeah. you kind of just see their relationship throughout the night. Like you said, knowing that nothing's going to come of this until uh, at the end of this. And just how they're more than willing to share more like personal experiences because they think, well, I'm never going to see you again. Right. So I might as well tell you something like deep and personal about my life right. or what I deeply think about certain views of life. And I found that kind of appealing as well, too. Glad you liked the recommendation. I, yeah. Very good film. Nice. So that is our movie recommendation corner. And now moving on, we're going to review the uh, horror film Winchester. 
It's gargantuan seven-storied structure with no apparent rhyme or reason. Built on the orders of a grieving widow. Sarah Winchester's mind is as chaotic as the house itself. We're worried about her sanity, Dr. Price. Mrs. Winchester, it's a pleasure to finally meet you. Do you believe in ghosts, Dr. Price? All right, so just a quick little um, IMDb summary here. The Winchester is a centric farm heiress, believes she is haunted by the souls of people killed by the Winchester repeating rifle. It is directed by the Spirig brothers, Michael and Peter. They did Daybreakers in 2009, Predestination, starring Ethan Hawke in 2014, and uh, Jigsaw, the latest Saw film. They just did that one, too. Um, it stars Helen Mirren as Sarah Winchester and Jason Clark as Dr. Eric Price. Um, I'm going to start this one off. So this movie is fucking terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can't, I'm not going to buttercoat this one, guys. This one's pretty bad. What do you guys think? (laughs) Um, I have to second that and say this movie is really fucking shitty. Like there's, there's really... No saving grace to this movie. Like, we've done 16 episodes, technically 20, because if you were with us since the beginning. Yeah. And this is probably the worst movie we've watched for a review. I probably agree to that, too. Wait a minute. God damn it, Nabil. You like it, don't you? you? No, no, I didn't. I won't say that I liked it. It was a bad movie. the same film, It was a bad movie. Let me tell you what worked in the film. Jason Clark. Yes. Great actor. Okay, yeah. I agree. His story was good. Okay, it agree. just didn't seem that it needed to be there for what the premise of the movie was. I think his story was okay. The Winchester story, it seemed like that was second class to what Jason Clark's story you know, was and about. And just uh, as another heads up for everyone, I don't think there's actually any spoilers to this film. Just to let everyone know, I, I it's all so, kind yeah. of shown in the trailer. Yeah, so a lot if of it is already kind of seen shown. the trailer, you've seen every good part of the film for the most part. Um, I agree to Bill. Jason Clark is really well uh, done as Eric Price. I think his story and background was unnecessary. Yeah. But they're trying to add a level of drama to the film to be like, oh, he has his own demons too, right? On yeah. top of that. They want to th- make you care for the character, but they half-ass it. They half-ass the it, but I think it's the only half-ass thing in this film that works. Yeah. Helen Mirren as Sarah Winchester was, I don't, kind of phoning it in. Yeah. It was wasted. Yeah. She's so, a talented actress, but. Ugh, also, right? you know, yeah. the title actor of the movie, Winchester, I saw three rooms of that house, and then a garden uh, room at the Okay, end. you're talking about the house. <laughs> that, yeah, that the house. Winchester. Winchester. So, if, if you live in the Bay Area in California, you know what the Winchester Mystery House is in San Jose. So my thing that is... that fucking house. It seemed like... So some of the... Okay, so the CG at times for the house was terrible, by the way. <laughs> oh my God, it was fucking it looked awful. so bad. I was like, oh, this is weird. Um, they seem to have shown the same arrow shot as well, like right. seventeen different times. Like, ooh, they're back in the house. The same outside shot oh, too. Yeah, and it he's outside like, again. Fuck. It seemed like they only had three different like sets they built. Was yeah. like the front of the house, the strange area from his room to the other side of the room. Dude, don't forget the the panning shot on the roof where you no, see no, that's like weird about. windows, like yeah, over and over again. Same I'm like, they, they, they just record, fucking rewind the movie. They did record in the in the house as well, from what I understand. They actually were inside. And did some, they? Yeah, but not in a lot of areas. So like that stairway, that's a part of that's actually in okay. the house. Apparently, you can tell which ones are sets. Then I think. yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty obvious which ones are set and which ones aren't. Like when you look like at once it. again, the six doors that are sealed shut with thirteen nails. They show that same hallway 
eight, nine times. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's always the room he runs by. And, and did you notice Jason Clark consistently stops and stares at the doors again? Like, he's like, what the hell? Yeah. I'm like, you've already seen these doors, man. What the hell is this yeah. new? It's because he was on uh, Laudanum. That's why he was fucking high as fuck. <laughs> True. I we'll see, but, once but again, I know. I'm just. I'm just saying. That is one thing that is decent in the film is that they almost make it believable in the first, like the, the three first three quarters of the film. Like, is it maybe just in his head? Yeah. Especially like, or is the lady just crazy? Because they could have played it off that way, where so everything happened. Yeah, it could be explained because it's essentially like Sarah Winchester inherited the house. Uh, she's she's the wife of the the Winchester family who invented the freaking rifle, and uh, John Clark's freaking character is there to Jason Clark. Jason Clark, yeah. sorry, yeah, I'm already fucking up his name. Jason Clark's character is there to assess whether or not she is batshit crazy and seeing shit because she won't stop construction of the house. In order to stop all these ghouls and ghosts from haunting her and her family, or whether she really is seeing this shit and deserves to inherit uh, all the money and the mansion. Yeah, and but the board does not. They want him to give a quote unquote favorable, like um, yeah, they're they're outcome to everything. Yeah. They want him to tell him them like, hey, she's crazy. They're you paying him wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, yeah so they want to oust her from the majority share. Yeah, because um, she's in control of the company overall she has a majority shareholder she's like 51 percent or something like mm-hmm. that yeah and the story itself is kind of creepy if like from her perspective of uh spirits going there they build rooms based on where these people died and then that's how she can put them to rest any spirit that doesn't um agree with them they lock them in until they calm the fuck down and then they can leave i guess um that's it that's the story that's the whole movie mind you (laughs) no one's at all talked about the uh the daughter-in-law unnecessary niece the son yeah (laughs) like because they're supposed to be the catalyst of this whole thing but they don't really matter in this movie at all yeah they have they have a random her name's ruby um her i think it's her niece and then her son's with her and they're unnecessary they're just there just to cause more trouble in a way yeah you think like they're going to be a focal point of like where the haunting is coming from and that there's going to be some closure there, but there isn't. No. And uh, one thing I did like about it is like what James was saying is that Jason Clark's character is questioning whether or not he's really seeing these things or not because he's like a like recurring drug addict. And I, I kind of like that aspect of it as well, too, where you, you kind of, well, they kind of botch this, but you don't know whether he's really experiencing these things or not and And i i'll say the one i did they did have some good jump stickers there were there were a few of those unfortunately because i jumped a lot i jumped a lot there there were some good ones but but the the cg it was the cg wasn't that good fucking sucked i think the only thing i really liked about the movie was the earthquake scene that's about it there's there's i think this movie works better when they don't show you what going on when it was more of a mystery of seeing glimpses of the thing yeah i think that's where it actually was creepy but as soon as they start revealing more and more of this film it's just kind of like man they just piece this shit together man it's one of those stories and movies where uh less is more or could have been more oh definitely like definitely it's just too much in your face the the the, the ghost makeup and everything that was kind of creepy. I think that they did well with that. I think but after you, I, I think the ghosts and Ghostbusters look more realistic. The, <laughs> um, I agree with Nabil actually to a point. I think it's creepier when you f- 
don't know who right. the ghost it is. Definitely I, I won't ruin that. That's the only thing yeah. to it. And uh, when he, I agree. And when you do find out, I was genuinely creeped out by that because yeah. I'm like, oh fuck. You know what I mean? Because like you kind of start the wheels start turning. And you start thinking like, yeah, if you go back to it, like, oh, that kind of okay, makes yeah, sense. that that was kind of a little good twist there. That, that is, was about it. Yeah, but that, a, yeah. after the fact though, and then they start doing a little too much with it, like, here's the backstory, <laughs> and then here's hear him again. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I don't think those I need are to see like that. the the synopsis of the main ghost and his, what his story is. It's actually a true story, um, and but the stuff that was happening in the Winchester house, of course, wasn't really real. Um, that you think of. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree with the bill. So here. you can't you can't go with it for the historical accuracy no, as much as you not. probably want to with a film like this. Um, but I it was cool that they did a little bit of of kind of sprinkling in of, of real stories and events like the earthquake. That's, yeah, I didn't I didn't realize the story of the ghost was actually kind of true. Yeah, which is makes it even more weird. Kind of weird. Like, oh crap! You know, also I I don't think they ever got down the tone of Helen Mirren's character. Was no. she supposed to be creepy? Because she becomes friendly, kind of helpful. I don't know. She's like know. in a black veil, and I'm like, this is kind of creepy. Is this her? I, I never felt like we found out who that character no, was. we didn't. Am I supposed to feel sorry for her? Am I supposed to be creeped out by her? Because she's weird. Right. And then even by the end of the film, then she's like nice. I'm like, this. Fu-. It's like she's like four different characters right. in this movie. Do they really even need Helen Mirren in this film? No. They could have just no, gotten anybody. And really. probably Truthfully, spent the why, money for why the wasn't, uh, Why wasn't the niece just the main bad yeah, like, person? Like, oh, I'm living in a haunted house. True, I'm just saying. Her, uh, there's a lot of aspects of it. that's yeah. like fuck, man. It was it was definitely a wasted opportunity of the lore of Winchester, um, and they should have focused more on Helen Mirren's character, fleshed that out a little bit more to get it more consistency. Almost oh, deaf, dude. Um, would you guys recommend this to anyone though? No, I wouldn't. Unfortunately, I, I want to, but it's really not worth it. Go see the house yourself, and maybe you get some more history from it. I, I have to agree. I can't recommend this to anybody. Yeah, me neither. Even as a horror fan. Hey, guys, I like shitty horror films. You do. Like, dude, I've dived deep into some stuff that you guys would never want to watch. And this is like, whoo. Yeah, just stay away from this one, guys. This is not a enjoyable film. Nope. It's Even for a movie that's an hour 39, it drags. I can't even say stream it when it comes out like on whatever streaming service. You can watch 20 like, minutes of it and be like, mm, I'm good. All right, so that is our review of Winchester. Um, pretty terrible, so don't see it unless you want to because with the power of movie pass, you can see a movie for free. Yeah, that is very true. Please sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is the end of podcast number 16. Once again, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, great on the feedback, response, and reviews. And guess what? We finally are going to tell you guys who has won the giveaway by Waterfront Comics. Marco, take it away. Yes, we have a winner. And that winner... Let's get a drum roll here. And that winner is Steve Campos. Congrats, Steve. Congratulations, Steve. Thank you so much for uh, retweeting us and for listening to us and giving us that extra support that we definitely, definitely need. Um, We will get in contact with you to get your information and send you your very own hardcover copy of the Rick and Morty comic book. Nice. And that's that's a nice one, too, by the way. Just let you know. Uh, Marco, let them know as well, even though our giveaway is over here, uh, how to reach us here. You can read us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 
MoviePalsPod, or you can tweet us uh, at Twitter at MoviePalsPod. Don't forget to continue to retweet us or comment and give us any recommendations that you think we should review, whether it be a TV show or a movie. We're listening to you guys, and we appreciate any feedback that you guys give us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Next uh, time on the pod, we will be going over our Oscar predictions because that will be the last pod before we have our Oscar viewing party. Dun, dun, dun. And we will be also reviewing the much-anticipated new Marvel film, Black Panther. So until next time, this is James, Marco, and Nabil. And have a good one. (laughs) 